Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind listeners that we are a weekly show. and We've got a whole bunch of really interesting episodes coming up over the next few weeks. Next week, we're talking to a doctor who treated a patient the media dubbed the toxic lady. Uh, you might have read about this case or seen TikTok videos about it. But basically, the story was that in 1994, a cancer patient was wheeled into an emergency room in California. And the doctors treating her, they started to pass out one by one. We'll hear from one of those doctors and how she was left with long-term health effects. And we'll find out exactly what happened in the hospital room. That's next week what it was like, here's today's episode. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. So last week, I talked to one of the creators of the Blair Witch Project. You might have heard the episode. Um... There was a section at the end of the conversation where we got onto the topic of luck. Now, this guy's name's Dan Myrick, and he had some opinions on luck because, as you'd imagine, he'd made this cheap little indie film that had blown up and made millions. So we were talking about luck, and I just started thinking about what a bizarre concept it is. Um, you know, just, just, I guess, the idea of it, uh, whether you have it or not, whether it even exists or whether it's just the way that our human brains find meaning and all the chaos. Um, and I also find it interesting how, how luck can have like this spiritual or, or religious connotation. You don't have to look too far to find people who believe that good luck or, or bad luck is preordained and, and that just by virtue of things going well or badly, you're experiencing God's master plan. So yeah, I walked away from that episode and I just, I wanted to do more on luck because I, I find it so interesting. So today we're going to do a story about a gold nugget because really what's a better 
physical manifestation of luck than a gold nugget. The story starts with a couple, an Australian couple named Bep and Kevin Hillier. Actually, Bep was born in the Netherlands, so you'll hear today that she's got a bit of a Dutch accent. Anyway, they lived in an old school bus with four children. And one night in 1980, Kevin had a dream that he would find a gold nugget. And then exactly 12 days later, he found an enormous gold nugget just like the one in his dream. And they called it the Hand of Faith. And to this day, it's the fourth biggest nugget that anyone has ever found in Australian soil. Sadly, Kevin passed away a few years ago, but Bep's going to tell us the story today, which, as you'll hear, she attributes to divine intervention. And personally, look, I'm not religious. Um, I may be a bit of a cynic about you know God and about a lot of things. Uh, and especially this idea that I think someone can dream up a nugget and then they can find it. So in all honesty, I went into this story with uh, one, one eyebrow raised. But I got to say, I maybe... As we got to the end, I, I sort of found myself believing, um, not about God, but just the details in this story. And I think you'll agree that there's a little detail in today's episode that's a bit, maybe just a little bit spooky. It feels to me like a little, a little peek under some cosmic curtain. Anyway, keep listening and we'll get to that. So now I bring you Bep Hillier. Bep, welcome to the podcast. I'm quite honored to be here. I'm glad. I'm I'm honored to be with you. I, I just want to briefly just just set the context. Tell me about where you're from um, and what, what's your background. I was born in Holland, one of twelve children. I went to Australia at 25, 26 years of age at, for a holiday. And uh, before I went back to Holland, I met Kevin. And nine days later, he asked me to marry him. And um, in June, we got married. So tell me about Kevin. What kind of a man is he? A fair dinkum Aussie. No bullshit. Can I say that? Of course. Oh. Yeah. He, um, he was down to earth, um, straightforward, humorous. He had a good humor. Bep describes her husband, Kevin, as a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. He had jobs fixing fences, milking cows, and selling cars. For a while, he tried to run his own business, but they had to declare bankruptcy. So then the family moved to Western Australia so that Kev could work on a sheep farm. And that's where he saw an old school bus for sale. And he bought it so that the family could drive around Australia. So we spent the next year renovating the bus, putting in four bunks, and I said to Kevin, well, we need some things. I need blankets and things like that. So we had a life insurance at that stage. And I said to Kevin, so we cash in the life insurance, so we have a bit of extra money. And he said, okay. So we got $1,500, I think. And we, I then bought my bed and things. And then I prayed, Lord, whatever is Kevin's going to do with the rest of the money, will you guide him? And he said, I'm going to buy a metal detector. When you first heard those words, I'm going to buy a metal detector. I went back to prayer. I said, Lord, a metal detector? I said, what do you want to do with a metal detector? Anyway, bought a metal detector, but I trust God. So, As you'll hear today, Bep is a religious woman. It's how we get into our later discussion about destiny versus luck. But right now, all you need to know is that Kevin had done some gold prospecting as a kid with his own dad. So to him, a metal detector seemed like a totally reasonable way to spend the last of their life insurance money. 
And he started working with this metal detector for the first time. And it took a few months before he actually picked up something. But um, he started to pick up little nuggets. And I always went out with him. But I had no detector. But when he had enough gold to buy it other detector, he went to his shop and put the gold down. He said, use the gold, I would like another detector. Anyway, so now we were both detecting. Kevin Bepp used to go out between 9 and 3 p.m. while the kids were at school. They'd stomp through the dusty, scrappy woodland that covers the Victorian goldfields, both with their headphones on, waving their metal detector rods over the soil. And when the detector picked something up, they'd hear a beep. They'd find little bits of gold sometimes, which would buy them groceries or pay the rent at the caravan park. Until one day, their luck changed dramatically. So we had a couple of hours after lunch to go to Kingawa. So we went behind the schoolhouse, we went detecting. We found little nuggets there before. Me too, you know, in the bush. Um, So we were both detecting, and you wear earphones when you detect. Mm. And I, I thought I heard Kevin talking or screaming, but I kept on detecting. Right, because you had your earphones. I had the earphones on. So you couldn't quite hear it no. clearly. So for the second time, I heard this scream. I get emotional. For the second time, I heard this scream. And I thought about maybe something happened. So I put the earphones off and put my detector in the car and go find Kevin. And I find him crying. He's got a hole about that big. And in the middle of the hole, there's like a little bit of gold showing. Like a little finger, like a bit of yeah, tip of like the iceberg. Yeah, the, the top of the nugget. And he said, he was crying, and he said, he said, darling, he said, we're filthy rich, and, and I'm going to put my mother up in luxury for the rest of her life. That's also what he said. He was going to put his mom up in luxury. Yeah, luxury, because your podcast is called what was it like mm. and the initial the first word that comes to mind very emotional but it was not only because he found a nugget but i have to go back bep wanted to go back at that point to tell me about her husband's dream it had been 12 days earlier and until that moment digging up the gold he hadn't told her that he'd had a dream He'd only told her in that moment, right then, when they were scraping the dirt away from the sides of this colossal chunk of gold, that's when he decided to tell her that a dream had predicted the whole thing. He dreamt that he found a nugget, and he went to his friend. He said, I had a funny dream last night, and um, he got a piece of paper and a pencil, and he drew... The dream on a piece of paper. He drew the nugget. He drew the nugget, with yeah, just like a nugget, like the hand of faith on a piece of paper and put his name on the paper and they both signed it with their signature. And two weeks later, when he found a nugget, that nugget, the hand of faith, it was exactly like in his dream. What Beb means is that he got his neighbor to witness his drawing because the dream was so vivid, it felt like a premonition. But to me, what's truly wild is that if you compare Kev's drawing of his dream nugget with the real nugget, you'll see that the two are weirdly similar. They've both got this long, rounded base like a fist, uh, and then these two little prongs held up on the end, like um, almost like fingers. 
Um, imagine one of those gestures that priests make when they're crossing themselves. Um, the prayer hand is the, is the general shape of Kev's drawing, um, and it was the general shape of the nugget, and it's the reason why they called this thing the hand of faith. But, but not just that. The other thing is that in the drawing, Kev even drew a little section sticking up, you know, just, just slightly below the soil, like the tip of an iceberg, which was exactly how they found it. And of course, I know there's a lot of you out there thinking, bullshit, like he didn't tell his wife, he clearly made this dream up and then retrofitted it into the story. And that's fair. You know what? I've had these thoughts too, and I have no bulletproof evidence one way or another. But I guess, look, here's the things that I've been thinking through. First of all, there's the neighbor's date and signature on the drawing. I guess that seems legit. Uh, you can actually see the drawing yourself. If you go to www.handoffaith.com, you'll find a PDF there of the original drawing. And then there's the fact that the neighbor was quoted pretty widely in original press coverage. And he always he always backed up this story about Kev coming over to you know, talk to him and they both dated the, the drawing. So I guess that's compelling. But I think for me personally, the most convincing evidence for Kev's dream is the fact that he decided to mention this to his wife as it was happening. Okay, so put yourself in that headspace for a moment. Let's say let's say you're digging up a gold nugget, like a life-changing gold nugget. And it's probably, realistically, one of the most exciting things that's ever happened to you. Now imagine what it would take to be in that headspace, to be scraping the dirt off the sides of this nugget, and think to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to make up a crazy nonsense story to my wife just to just to dial up the drama here. Like, imagine, who does that? You know, <laughs> who has the bandwidth to think of a story while digging up a piece of gold? That is some serious compulsive liar behavior. Uh, and sure, look, there are people who act like that, but I don't get the impression that was Kev. People who behave like that, their their wives don't have very nice things to say about them. And, you know, that's that's kind of not what I'm seeing in this family. So look, I don't know, but on the balance, I'm reluctantly convinced that the dream happened. Why didn't he tell you about the dream? I have no idea. Maybe he thought I wouldn't believe him. It's a, I have it's... no idea why he didn't tell me. I only found out after those little bit of gold was showing, and he said, it's just us like in my dream. And that is when I found out about the dream. So he told you about this dream while you were looking down into this little pit with this little yeah. prong of gold sticking out of the dirt. Yeah. So then we were sitting down there and crying and crying and digging and digging and levering it out very carefully and lifting it up and it just didn't seem to end and it come deeper and deeper and deeper. And then eventually we could lift it out. But Kevin has had this back operation by then and I suggest maybe we should fill it in and get some help because it was very heavy. Yeah, it's a giant chunk of gold. It's yeah. heavy. He said, no, he said, I'll get it out. He was determined. So we got it out. We were sweating. It was a hot day. We were dusty. We were full of red dust. We carefully walked to the boot of the car and put it in the boot of the car. We got into the car. We had to go home because the kids are coming home from school <laughs> by that time. So we drive down and we drive down past the bank. And Keller said, he put it in the bank? I said, I don't know. Okay, went past the police office. Police? Nah. So we went home with a nugget in the boot of the car and we stopped at the bus at the caravan park. We lifted it out of the boot 
and we put it in the basin of the bus. At this point, I want to introduce a new character to the story. We were recording this episode in a studio and, and Bep's son had come along to watch. His name's Lance and he was eight years old when his parents brought home this gold nugget and placed it in the basin of their bus. And I asked Lance to, to jump on the microphone and tell us what he remembers. So I remember walking in the bus and seeing Brendan washing the nugget with a toothbrush in the sink. Yeah. And it was gold. And then I remember running outside and telling my sisters, um, you know, dad found this nugget. It's this big. And you were holding your hands out really wide like a fisherman who's found a fish. Yeah. Yeah. What happened next is that Bep ran to the caravan next door to find her friend Ina. As they told me, Ina wasn't a talker, so they knew they could trust her. But they also knew that Ina had connections in the gem world, and she'd know someone who could help them sell the nugget. And sure enough, Ina knew a guy named Cyril Kovac, who was one of the biggest gem dealers in Australia. So they got on the phone to Cyril, who agreed to drive up on Sunday. Now keep in mind this is Friday, so they just had to guard the nugget for 48 hours. We did sleep all night. Kevin and I. Just excitement. Ah, oh, it's just everything going through your head. You know, all of a sudden mm. you're supposed to be rich and got all this money and we, we're working in, in dollars and cents and now all of a sudden this could be worth a million bucks. So we didn't sleep. So the next night I gave Aina, I said, do you sleep with it because I can't sleep. Beb says they also spent the whole weekend smoking cigarettes just to dull the nerves. We, we, we were smoking at the time. We went through a whole carton of cigarettes and cups of tea Saturday and Sunday. Oh, we were nearly sick from smoking and, and uh, cups of teas. Because you were just talking we, we about were just, We were just looking and picking at it and, and um, yeah... It was it was a very emotional couple of days, and I remember a friend of ours come to the door of the bus, and he said, "Look what I found," and he found his first nugget, and we know how what it is like to get your first nugget. And at the first, and I said, "Oh, fantastic, David was his name. Fantastic, David, look at that nugget." But you think, "Oh my God, that's a small bit of gold." Because I've got 27 kilos in, in the... <laughs> you should see what we've got. Jamal, you yeah. see, you see, but you've got to pretend. Hey, so we're just going to stop here for a quick ad break, but stick around because we'll be right back with more What It Was Like. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. 
So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Finally on Sunday, Cyril the gem dealer rolled up in his car to evaluate and weigh the nugget. Only it was too big to fit on his regular scales, so he had to use wool scales, which they sourced from someone at the car park. And the weight? 27.2 kilograms. Uh, and that's 60 pounds for our friends in America. And I just want to emphasize how comically large this thing is. There are all these photos of Bep and Kev posing with the nugget. You can look at these online. And Kev looks like he's holding up an extremely heavy golden toaster, like one of those deluxe kind of four slice toasters, except that it's long and a bit knobbly. Anyway, so after that, the gem dealer rolled the nugget up in a towel and placed it in the boot of his car and drove down to Melbourne to put it up for sale. And people say, you've only just met these men and you just let them drive off with a million dollar nugget. No worries. You know who's in charge. Before you left, he had a piece of paper and he wrote down, advanced $10,000 um, in, in, uh, in exchange for him taking the nugget. Yeah. So we had $10,000. And then the next morning, we went to the bank and Kevin presented this check of $10,000. And the boy comes back and he said, this insufficient funds, sir. And Kevin said, go to the manager of the bank in Melbourne. And then he came back second time. How would you like that, sir? Because the manager in Melbourne, at that precise moment, was on. Yubi came in with that nugget to the manager in Melbourne, the bank, and they were just looking at the nugget when they asked the question, you know. And the manager was like, the manager oh, no. said, yeah, just go These guys are good for it. Yeah. What happened next was that Bep and Kev took the kids shopping with their 10K advance. And I just want to highlight what an unusual event this was for the family. Until then, Bep had been cleaning the caravan park's toilets in lieu of paying rent. Lance had also mentioned that their staple dinner was often carrot soup. And now, Bep told everyone that they could get new clothes and choose one toy. And Lance told me that he'd, he'd chosen one of those, uh, remember those like long plastic arms with a, with a claw and you can open and close it? Anyway, and as for Bep, she got herself a new dress. Tell me about the dress. <laughs> 
I walked in the shop in a boutique in jeans and T-shirt, and I looked probably one from the bush. Yeah, you, the, I mean, you've been living in the bush. <laughs> the, tre- the dresses down there, they were all three, four, five hundred, six hundred dollars. But was it like a designer brand? Or? Yeah, of course, something like that. And I don't ask me what I paid for it, but I did get a dress. This is this so is I like the, indulge. this is like this scene in uh, Pretty Woman where yeah. Julia Roberts goes into yeah. the shop and they kick yeah. her out because she's not yeah, posh yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly like that. But this was real. This is not a movie. After that, it was time to sell the nugget. The gem expert ran the process, but basically what happened is that he put the word out and waited for offers. Sovereign Hill, which uh, you might know is the, the Gold Rush Museum in central Victoria. They offered to buy it, but they didn't have enough money. Then there was an offer from a guy who had the money, but the police quietly called up Bep and Kev and, and told them that this guy had a history of passing fraudulent checks. And um, a little side story here that's very amusing. The police set up a little sting by promising this guy that they'd sell him the nugget, and then they arrested him at the handover. Anyway, the best offer fittingly came from the Golden Nugget Casino in Las Vegas. They offered $1 million in US dollars in cash, which is about $3.5 million in today's money. And the Hilliers took the offer, and the nugget was flown to the casino, where it's still displayed in a glass cabinet to this very day. So how long did the money last for? Last for? Oh, it's still lasting. It's still lasting? It's still lasting. I'm still living quite comfortably, and, and the kids are all well. Okay. And and so a casino in Vegas bought your nugget. Yeah. Have you seen the nuggets since? Yeah. Ten years later, Kevin and I made a trip down to Las Vegas. And we walked in the hotel and uh, it's sort of down off the side and there's all glass case and there's the nugget turning around and round, around, around, around. And uh, we, we went to the um, fellow behind the desk and said, oh, we found a nugget. He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so they, they didn't, You'd heard that one they before. They didn't really believe that yeah. or they had heard it before. And um, so, yeah, it was unbelievable that we actually sat down and dug that up in the bush, and it, it is... What is it? Was it a weird... Yeah, very weird. I mean, was it weird, though, because you'd found it in such a rustic... Yeah. ...kind of lo-fi setting. It had probably sat in the dirt there for yeah. millions of years. Yeah. And then and then you see it years later in this sort of uh, gaudy hotel setting in Vegas. Yeah. That's a that's a hell of a journey. <laughs> yeah. It is... Um, it, as I said, it was really unreal, and we couldn't... I said to Kevin, you know, we dug that up. Look at the opulence. You know, it's it's really unreal that it was us who actually sat down on our knees and and lifted it out of the ground. It was sort of like they were separated, you know, dug that part and that part that didn't seem to have a connection anywhere. So that's the story of the nugget. But I promised you that this story was about luck. And I'm keen to get onto that with Bep. But as you'll hear, her and I have very different views on how that piece of gold came into their lives. Oh, luck. Have God on your side and miracles happen. Okay, well, I, so I'm not a very religious person. No. I'd describe myself as... Uh, I'll bet you're a agno- good man, though. I try my best. Yeah. But I, I'm sort of, I don't know, spiritually agnostic, I guess. Um, so when I hear you telling this story and I hear a set of very unlikely circumstances coalescing 
in in you know riches, as in it wasn't preordained. It was just lucky. That's kind of the story that I hear. But you interpret it very much as, you know, this was a destiny. You know, your husband had this dream. So it it feels like these are stepping stones that are very much placed there so that you could find this nugget. I'm I mean, I think it's what what do you think what do you think about my perception that it was just blind luck? You're not the only one. You're not the only one. And 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 nobody can change that. But I think I guess what I'm suggesting is that pure coincidence is beautiful and astonishing just on its own. I don't think I need a sense of divine around it to just appreciate just how, you know, this is this is the the glory of the universe working. Even if I don't believe in a in a God, it's still it's still amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Well, he made it, but you think it's come from nothing. So I don't know how you explain your your reasoning. Yeah, so we we didn't really come to an agreement on the God thing, but that's okay. I think it was actually Bep's son, Lance, who made a very interesting point right at the very end of the conversation, because he argues that the nugget isn't actually the headline of the story. The thing that gets me most of the time is when I think about that dream and I think about that drawing, it's so similar to the nugget that that's the mystery for me. You know, that's the real... That's the real rub here that I can't get past and I can't decipher or because I'm I'm a real scientist, you know. I'm a You're not religious? I'm I'm not I, I wouldn't say that I'm religious. Okay. No. So so for oh. you, the miracle isn't finding the gold. The miracle was like dreaming of finding, you know, predicting the gold. Well, yeah, the story. To actually draw a picture of it that's so similar. Mm-hmm. That's that's bizarre. That is bizarre. That is uncanny. I just want to say here that that I'm ending with Lance because because I really like and trust him. He's he's my kind of guy. Like he's my kind of skeptic. He's just a regular Australian bloke trying to get his head around this thing that that he's pretty sure happened, but shouldn't have happened. And I found Lance very, I don't know, believable. I think the odds of dreaming up a nugget that looks like the one you're about to dig up 12 days later. The odds on that are just about negligible, and I've been puzzling about this ever since. And I guess Kevin did too, because right at the end of the conversation, Bep admitted that her husband had never been a religious man until he found the nugget. That was the instigator of of him turning to God in the end. He always called it a sacred place where he found a nugget. He's buried there. He wanted to be buried there. He said it's a bit of a sacred place to me. So, um, yeah. I mean, you said that, that when you were digging up the gold, you know, you were both crying. Was, was that because you were just aware, really aware in that moment, how much it was going to change your world? Or was that because it had a spiritual kind of connotation? Yeah, yeah, more and more that other way, I think. It was not because I was saying, oh, now, well, Kevin said, we're going to be filled with it. But that was not really mine emotion i don't think i think it was the emotion that that uh, the spiritual side as bep said kevin was buried where he found the nugget and you can visit the spot although honestly it's kind of unremarkable picture some thin eucalyptus and lots of red dust tucked behind an old building that used to be a primary school there's a log seat for people to sit on and a little stone memorial where the gold was found and there at the base of the memorial is a plaque that Bep had made, and it reads, 
in loving memory of my dear husband, our wonderful dad and opa. And I think the fact that Kevin chose to be buried there says a lot, that even if you don't believe in prophetic dreams, this place clearly became a kind of spiritual anchor point in Kev's life. I mean, however you cut it, this little patch of bush delivered this family a gift that changed their lives. And I guess that's kind of a miracle. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I've got a story that's uh, that's pretty cool, something that could work for this show, you know, something interesting but surprising, a little bit unique, please get in touch, hit me up. I'm always looking for story suggestions or feedback or, you know, whatever you got. I'm Julian Morgans on Instagram and Morgans Julian on X. And you know what? We'd love you to follow the show. You know the, the follow button on whatever your podcast app is? Just press that. We'll be eternally grateful. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Just a just a simple five stars should do it. You don't even have to overthink it. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffery. It was edited and mixed by Nicholas Feliciano. Jimmy Saunders did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge. And this whole thing has been a super real production. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.